Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. The spring equinox is just a few weeks away, and after the spring equinox, the northern hemisphere tilts toward the sun, which is why we start to get longer, sunnier days, and why many people start their gardens and sow seeds this time of year. Joining us now with some tips on how to go about that is Pete Moruski, an environmentalist and nurseryman and the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York. We invite you to call us now with your gardening questions, your questions for Pete. Our number here uh, is 212-209-2877. Hello, Pete. Welcome back to our show. Thank you, Leonard. Great to be here. We had a very mild, fickle winter with very little snow and frost, but a lot of rain. Does that mean that spring plants, the bulbs, et cetera, will be blooming earlier this year than usual? It sure does, Leonard, and that's all a function of uh, soil temperature. Um, A lot of the daffodils, crocuses, uh, snowdrops, uh, they they started coming up about a month or so ago. which Already? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. In, In many areas already. Um, and of course, there was no, of course there was no snow on the ground, and, and, and the ground never really got cold. So they got forced into thinking that spring was coming. And uh, you know, one of the things I always like to talk about when I talk about spring flowering bulbs is the ephemerals that come up in the woods. Uh, you know, these are plants like trout lily, and trillium, and bloodroot, and these are basically our spring flowering bulbs that come up in the woods just before the leaves come out on the trees. Now, what about insects and ticks and things like that? Are they also coming out earlier? Well, I'll tell you a little story, Leonard, about uh, the tick situation. Um, as somebody who's always in the woods, um, back in November and early December, we started to get some really cold weather and it started to snow, which made everybody think that we were going to have a rough, uh, snowy winter. And then, you know, like I said, being in the woods and walking around the woods, uh, you know, once that cold weather sets in and it starts to snow, many of the ticks go into hiding. Well, come mid-December, it got really warm again, and I'm still walking around the woods, and I started picking ticks off of myself in the end of December and January, which was very unusual Mm. in the Hudson Valley. And then now uh, they're out in force. So because we had such a mild winter, I think the tick population is going to explode this year along with many other insects that you're going to find crawling around on your plants. Now, none of this applies to people who grow their plants in their homes. That's correct. So we really control the seasons in our homes? Although, uh, if we're not heating our our apartments, for example, uh, the way we do during really cold winters, will that have an effect on houseplants? Yes, it will, Leonard. And, and, you know, there's a couple of things also to consider when it comes to houseplants. If you've got your plants close to windows where there's no screens on them, and if you're opening up windows, you'd be surprised on the, on the insects that'll come in from the outside uh, that, uh, <clears throat> that'll get onto your plants that you, you, you never knew existed inside your house. And here you are running around, what did I bring in the house that infected all these plants? But, hey, it may, may have come in from the outside or may have come in from some of your clothing or may have come in from your cat or your dog. Or so, you leave the windows open. Or you leave the windows open, you know. So there's a lot of variables out there that, that can control the type of insects uh, and diseases that you can get on indoor plants in your apartment. A reminder that our number here is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And let's take a call. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. 
Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi. Hi. Speak I'm, to Pete Moraski. Yes. I'm asking about the ground cover. I have, I think it's called Fincus, um, and I'm looking at re-establishing my uh, ground cover in front of the house. I'm wondering something that the deer won't eat. They ate all my Fincus. I was thinking about Pacasandra. Can you recommend something? Yes. Um, Is it Fincus or Ficus? Uh, he's, I think he's thinking Vinca. Or Vincus. Vinca. 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 Now, just a couple of questions in regard. I'm just trying. I want to help you with your site, so I need just a couple of questions. Is it a very shady location or is it a sunny location? Uh, if the sun is out, it's sunny. If it's, um, but it's shaded somewhat by cedar trees. Right. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, you know, a as a native landscaper, um, I'm going to kind of veer you away from Vinca and Pacasandra and kind of bring you into some of, some of the native type ground covers that exist uh, that will bring in more uh, uh, beneficial insects and you'll be doing your part on, on bringing in uh, plants that are going to well, help me, the let, ecosystem. Let me slow you down for a moment. You, you're suggesting the, the indigenous plants, the plants from our area as opposed to plants that have come from outside? Well, what is the advantage of that? Well, the advantage of that, Leonard, is uh, you're feeding the environment. Many times when you bring in vinca or pachysandra, it creates what we call in the industry dead zones in the environment. In other words, none of the insects or animals feed or use this plant uh, uh, to, to, as 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 something that sustains uh, uh, the, the native the, the native, native animals and, and insects that's and right birds the birds where the native ground covers uh, their berries and their uh, their leaves um, sustain local wildlife and one of the things that comes to my mind if you got a sunny location is a a little uh, ground cover called pussyfoot. Now, pussyfoot is, is a perennial, and it only grows about two or three inches tall, and it has a nice little flower, but it's got a like a, a, a real light green to almost blue foliage uh, that would work really well in, in, in the sunny locations, and that it would also spread, and that you'd be bringing in uh, beneficial insects into your garden. There's also... Uh, there's, there's also many other uh, evergreen-type uh, uh, ground covers, uh, such as bearberry, uh, which you can use in, much, in, in a more shady location. And one of my favorites is the ferns. Um, you can do Christmas fern or many of the other types of ferns that are basically bulletproof that the deer won't eat. I know you have a concern about deer. And a lot of these ferns and evergreens stay, stay green year-round and can tolerate snow loads and will come back every spring. Um, That's exactly what I'm looking Christmas ferns, you say? <clears throat> yes, Christmas ferns. It's an well, ever you get Christmas ferns now? Well, you can, well, Christmas, that's just, the, you know, the, the common name. name for the plant. Uh, this is, you know, one of the few uh, evergreen ferns that you can find growing in, in your garden center. I mean, fiddleheads uh, are coming up, uh, com will be coming up in the next month or so. And these are the, this is the new growth of the fern. Um, you may know or may not know that ferns are a perennial and that they come yep. up every year. But I think from a, from a, from a evergreen and a, and a deer standpoint, the ferns are so nice and light and, 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 and they really are a soft, 
touch to the landscape, especially if you got a few rocks in your landscape. It kind of softens the landscape uh, uh, in, in areas where you have a shady situation. Well, that's very helpful. I will look for the, did you call it pussyfoot? Yes, the pussyfoot. It's a, it's a ground the, cover. The Hilarious foot. name. The pussyfoot and the Christmas fern. Yeah, those are the two that are fairly deer resistant, and uh, one is an evergreen, and one is a deciduous uh, ground cover. Uh, oh, I want the evergreen. Oh, uh, then go with the fern. Very good. All right. Good luck. Thank I you will so do much. Exactly that. Thank you so much. And thank you for your call. Uh, again, a reminder: our number here is two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. If you have a question for. Pete Morosky, who is a, an environmentalist and nursery man, and the environmentalist part of you uh, is is what always comes out in our conversations, because uh, you are concerned about uh, returning that that too many people are bringing in plants that are really aren't native to our area. That's exactly right, Leonard. I think, uh, you know, one of the things you have to look at is, you know, back in the, you know, way back four or five hundred years ago when New York City and, 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 and the vicinity was still wilderness, you know, there were a lot of these ecosystems, you know, like Manhattan Island had over 50 ecosystems back in the 1400s. You know, Brooklyn was a maze of waterways and early trappers tell stories about uh, uh, trapping a beaver the size of small bear. And the, the, the New Jersey Meadowlands are, are, are one of the big resting places for migrating birds. And one of the problems we're having today and why we have such problems with, with, with birds uh, declining is because a lot of these natural areas are being developed and filled in, you know, the waterways are being filled in. So I think it's important that in our own backyards that we create these ecosystems and we bring in plants that are adapted to our soils and climates that the birds and the insects can live off of because if we don't, you know, they're going to starve to death out there. But this is not a new thing. Uh, didn't the Europeans <laughs> start bringing in plants from Europe and from Africa when they started coming here <laughs> right after Columbus arrived? Well, this is something that, you know, they knew nothing about ecological land management, so to speak. And yes, they brought a lot of these lawns and a lot of these plants from Europe and Asia that they found growing in their yard uh, back when they came, came, came across the oceans. They brought turkeys, not realizing that turkeys were native to North America. <laughs> well, that's they, what the Spaniards did. They, you know, there's a type of turkey called the black Spaniard turkey that uh, you know, the Spaniards came over. And, and when they first came over to the eastern part of the United States, turkey were a real docile creature. And uh, as we know, they're, they're, they're very good eating. So they, 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 they brought them over to Europe. Uh, uh, and, and, and now they brought, they brought them back to, to the Eastern North them. America. And, you know, there's an interesting story about turkeys, too, Leonard. Although they were called turkeys because nobody thought they came from the Americas. <laughs> That's right. They thought they came from Turkey or <clears throat> India. You know, I, I raise upland game birds, and I'm into uh, heritage species now. And there's a turkey uh, that the first settlers found on the coast uh, uh, of, off of Long Island, Cape Cod, and, and the Barrier Islands called Narragansett turkeys. Now, Narragansett turkeys are a, a, a subspecies of wild turkey that you could find growing on the barrier islands. And, it's, and the reason why it's so popular is because it's a little bit a, a smaller bird. And where our wild turkey in the woods are all legs, uh, the, you know, the, Narrag the Narragansetts have a very big, big chest. chest. 
So uh, they're, a, they're a very popular bird around Thanksgiving, and uh, they're a beautiful bird. I mean, I have pairs of them, and I raise them, and they're just a, they're a very attractive bird. And you also have turkey eggs, I know. You've given me a few. Well, I really appreciate that. Uh, our number here is 212-209-2877. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM. And we have a lot of people calling in. Let's take some of those calls for Pete Morosky. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, thank you, Leonard. I have a question for your guest. A uh, man alluded to deer problems and as we all know we spend a fortune every year on whether it's sprays or some kind of a gadget or irish spring in your wife's nylons hanging out uh could you recommend something that we could use that you would guarantee or say it's better than others yes there's a lot of plants uh that are that are very deer resistant um you can use um for instance, uh, there's a native Andromeda. If you, let's say you wanted to do some evergreens around your house, and 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 you know you're just lousy in, in deer in your yard. Uh, there's a type of Andromeda that you can use that the deer don't eat. Uh, many of the viburnums, uh, the deer don't bother. Uh, there's a spice bush that the deer won't eat. I mean, there is a lengthy list of trees, perennials. And, uh, and, and, and shrubs that the deer won't eat. Now, if you go onto my website, nativelandscaping.net, uh, or, or, or email me at pete at nativelandscaping.com, I could send you uh, lists. You know, I got lists for limestone soils. I got lists for deer resistance. I got lists for shade. I got lists for wet soils. So we ha we've, we've made a lot of lists that uh, many of my customers uh, refer to. And, uh, you know, as you know, uh, landscaping, uh, if you do it on a large scale, can be a, a very expensive project. And the last thing you want is after one year, the deer have eaten everything that you've just invested in. So it's important, not only do you bring in plants that are deer resistant, but also plants that will thrive in your particular location. You know, you don't want to, if you have a sunny location where you're looking out the window and, and you're on top of a mountain, that's not the place where you bring rhododendrons. You want to bring plants that are adapted to that situation so that they will thrive over the years rather than slowly decline. And, and, and then you're wasting your money on, 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 on your landscape where if you really bring in plants that are adapted, you know, the right plant for the right location, it's, it's just a, 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 the best way to go. Okay. Very good. Pete, could you just repeat that, email, uh, that website again? It's uh, uh, Pete. Uh, if you want to email me directly, it's Pete at nativelandscaping.net or uh, nativelandscaping.org uh, is the website. Okay. okay. We'll repeat that later. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi. You're on the air. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. I would like to ask your guest. There's a variety of fern called Brecken fern. Does he know about it? If yes, where can I find it? Well, the best thing to do is go to your local garden center. Once again, you can send me uh, the type of fern it is, and it would help uh, to not, not only give me the common name, but the Latin name, and I could research the plant for you and let you know whether or not it's hardy for your area. Now, many of the ferns uh, that we sell 
um, at Native Landscaping are uh, native indigenous ferns, you know, the cinnamon ferns, uh, like we said before, the Christmas ferns, and many of the other ground covers that exist that are, are deer resistant. So um, you might want to, you know, go to your local garden center and, and, and ask them if they have them and ask them if they can get them. Or like I said, you can contact me and, and I'll direct you on, on where they're available. Okay. Okay, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, before we go to another call, uh, spring is a time when people do a little cleaning up. Uh, is is it already time to do that, or should we wait a little longer because the weather is still so iffy? No. There may even be a little snow in some parts uh, north of the city. Well, Leonard, right now I could tell you where, because I just got back from up Vermont, so I could tell you where the rain, where the snow line is, and it's basically just north of Albany, New York, and just uh, uh, into the central Catskills. <clears throat> but if you're in the lower Hudson Valley or in Westchester County South, you can start cleaning your garden up right now. And one of the things I want to stress to, to, to our listeners is that you don't have to be super clean when you're, when you're maintaining your landscape. A lot of beneficial insects live in leaf mold and live in our native shrubs that if we were to be super clean, we're wiping out a lot of these indigenous insects that are so important to the natural world. So when you're out there cleaning... To leave a mess because it's food? Well, not so much of a mess, but it doesn't have to be so clean and kept. You know, you go, uh, you, you go to some of these uh, properties and, you know, I, sometimes I shake my head. You know, you've got every shrub is shaped like a lollipop or, or, <laughs> or a pumpkin, and, and, and there's really no ground cover, and everything is cut so precise. But if you go to the properties that have a, diff, have like a, a you know, kind of a wild or a loose feel, that's, that's much healthier for you and the natural world. And a, a, a lot of other things, a, 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 other things that you'll find too, if you maintain your property this way, is that, you know, you'll find, you know, a lot of people like to feed the birds, but if you go with a native landscapes, you don't have to buy bird seed. You know, all these birds will come into your yard because you have red twig dogwood and you have uh, winterberry holly and you have a lot of these shrubs that are already burying. And not only will they come in and feed from your, from your landscape, but they'll also... Uh, nest in your landscape, and 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 it, it's just it's it's just a common sense approach to land management practices. Okay, let's take another call. Bai, you're on the air. Yeah. Hi. Me. Yes, Hi. it's you. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm interested in. A, I, I'm part of a community garden, mm -hmm. uh, and um, I was listening to the idea of trying to attract um, monarch butterflies, and they said um, milkweed. So is it possible to grow milkweed? Uh, is that native to this area? It sure is. <clears throat> but let's talk about milkweed a little bit because there are many okay. different types of milkweed and most every continent has its own type of milkweed to sustain butterflies or insects in the area. Now, eastern milkweed you'll find growing in just about every meadow uh, that's, that's natural. And, and, and the monarch butterflies will come in and eat the milkweed, but they'll not only eat the milkweed, you know, there's butterfly weed too that they'll eat. And... Uh, and then don't they even put their larvae on the milkweed in some cases? Yes, they do, Leonard. But one thing, there's a recent study, and, and, and I read this in Telemi's book, that um, milkweed— Besides Douglas Telemi, who writes about 
gardening. He's uh, he's been a guest on our show. Yeah, he's an entomologist at a University of Delaware, and he's wrote a couple of great books on on, on native landscaping. But one of the things that is starting to come out in a lot of these uh, a lot of these studies is um, a lot of uh, gardeners are putting in. Uh, uh, milkweed that's indigenous to the tropics and the reason they're doing that is because that milkweed flower is a little bit brighter and, 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 and but uh, a lot of the monarchs don't know the difference between our native milkweed and the tropical milkweed and what's happening is uh, they, they go into the cocoon and they're just not getting the nutritional value they get from the native milkweed on the tropical milkweed, and 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 they're not making it through their whole cocoon stage. So, you know, this is where this whole native plant concept is so very important that you got to use native milkweed from the eastern United States. So she goes to a garden center and says, "I want native milkweed," and they'll know what to give her. Oh yeah. Okay. Can I ask one more question? Of sure. Course. Oh, uh, this is regarding um, there's ivy that used to grow and stay around the. The base of the of the trees. Now I'm noticing that it continues to grow up and it's overtaking uh, the trees like a parasite at this point. You know the ivy I'm talking about. It has like um, um, oh, it's very popular here. Um, is it uh, English ivy or Baltic ivy? Is it an evergreen ivy? It's an evergreen, yeah, because it's still growing. yeah. It's an invasive species and it needs to be cut out. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ivies. I mean, How I was do you cut it out. You just pull them out yeah, of the yeah, ground. Well, well you, 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 you pull it out of the ground, or you cut it at the base, and you, you got to be persistent with it. You know, I was looking. You know, on the way down here, Leonard, uh, when I was driving down from the uh, from uh, Dutchess County to your show, I was uh, driving along the Sawmill River Parkway, and yeah. let me tell you something. It is bad. Uh, yeah. a, a lot of the trees, a lot of a lot of the woods are getting choked out by bittersweet. Ivy, mile a minute vine, and these are all invasive vines that are really creating a, 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 a not a good situation in, in a lot of the woods in Westchester County. So, um, my suggestion is uh, get rid of it, and the sooner the better. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Well, let's take another call. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Yes. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I just have a question. Could you get a little closer to your phone? Yes. Okay. Can you hear me now? Better. Yes. I have a question for Pete about my... Um, I tried to grow um, squash and corn, and I had a nice crop, but the caterpillars eat all of them. Like, they start eating the, the squash from, from the wood to the stem, so sure. they couldn't grow. Well, you you I were growing squash and corn, and who was eating them? The caterpillars. The caterpillars. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, do you have a big garden, or is it a very small garden? I have um, like a good amount of square uh, in in my backyard. Okay. Um, <coughs> I use organic, so I don't know what to do. Well, here's what I would recommend doing. Uh, you know, I, I would handle it from a mechanical standpoint in other words i'm not a big fan of pesticides because we don't want you to spray your plants with pesticides and then uh and then have it in your food as you're cooking it so what i recommend is mechanical methods in other words go out there with a bucket uh, a water bucket 
and 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 get look underneath all the leaves of your plant on a daily basis and pick a lot of these caterpillars off as they're working their way up the up the up the uh, plant. And then what do you do with the caterpillars? You, you flush them yeah, down the toilet. Yeah, what do I do with them? You flush them down the toilet. <laughs> oh my god. That you flush them down the toilet. Uh, I don't think my septic tank would. Appreciate nah, that's that. it's it's okay. You, you know, you you, you they're you, organic. They're organic. They're not going to do anything. Just make sure you flush them all down, and then they're crawling around on the rim after you're done. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. um, that's the best way to handle it. Mechanical methods. You know, get out there with a bucket on a daily basis. Uh, if you have a tough time seeing, get yourself a magnifying glass. Uh, you know, every good gardener should have a magnifying glass because you want to, you know, you want to catch these caterpillars at a young age when they're small, aphids, yeah. you know, all these things that are going to create problems. And this year, they're going to be a big problem because we had such a mild winter that uh, a lot of them didn't die because we didn't have that zero degree weather we usually have. So they're going to be out yeah. in force in about a month. So just get out there with your magnifying glass on a daily basis and that that should keep him at bay okay okay thank you okay and um, go ahead i have another question my peach i had a nice peach in the in the backyard used to um really bring me some good peaches but now they under under it it's like the whatever that is is eating under the wood and it's killing it are you sure so there's yes. a grub. You think there's a a grub eating the roots? Yes, something is eating it. Somebody told me to like um, go around it and dig and put like um, um, Epsom salt and things like that, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, you sound like and I try. you sound like you may have an infestation, and what you may need to do is dig the soil out a foot or two around the plant, and put in okay. some new soil. And then plant the plant again where you have it. Because it sounds like you may have an infestation in the ground, uh, a grub infestation, and, and you, need to, uh, you need to address it uh, moving forward. And then just throw that soil out, the other soil? Yeah, you, you know, a lot of times you can put it in the compost. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you put it deep enough in the compost pile, the, um, uh, the, the heat of the compost will kill them. Or, mm -hmm. you know, as you're digging them up you'll, and putting them in the wheelbarrow, you'll see the grubs. And uh, just pick them out and, and kill them and throw them away. Would this subwind soil do me good? Like the, the ShopRite soil or the Home Depot, things like that will do me good? Yeah, any, any kind of organic soil uh, would be the best type of soil for, uh, for your garden. Try to stay away from the soils that have the synthetic fertilizers in them because that's very unnatural. Um, you want to okay. create the more natural uh, you create your vegetable and fruit gardens, uh, the the better it's going to be for you. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you so thank much. You now you mentioned composting. Uh, you compost year round. Yes. Uh, but it doesn't really work until the temperature gets above 50 degrees. You know, composting works when it heats up. So you got to, what I, how I compost at my place is I, you know, I, I do all my weeding and I put it in a compost bin. So you put all the organic material, do you throw uh, orange peels and things like that in? Anything well? but meat, really. Anything, uh, uh, and, and, you know, and, uh, you know uh, there's a, a lot of other things we do, like, you know, what do you do with your, a lot of your weeds? Uh, let's say uh, you want to create your own type of fertilizer. 
And what I'll do is I'll, I'll pull the weeds out of my garden and I'll put them in uh, like a, a, a big vat or a drum and create what we call uh, a weed tea. Mm-hmm. And what that weed tea does is it breaks down, and in about a week or two, it becomes a fertilizer, and you can use strain those those weeds out. And you've got this beautiful green fertilizer that you can plant. You can you can use at the bottom of your. Uh, so you don't have plants. to go to the store and buy fertilizer. No, you don't. You can make your own. Make your own. Should we try another call? Sure. Okay, BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Yes. Uh, my mother recently moved from northern New Jersey to Tampa area. And I know she could go to a gardening store and ask, ask this question, which is why I want to know your personal preference. Basically, she's open to, like, landscaping her area. What would you plant? What would you recommend for, like, organic landscaping? What would I just want to But know, she's in like, Florida? Yeah. So it would be very area. different, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you if she wanted to do a native landscaping in Florida and she's not familiar with the native plants or indigenous species that exist there, she can either go to the local cooperative extension and they'll they're very helpful on IDing plants that work in her situation, or the local nurseries or garden centers. But uh, like I've been, well, wait, pre- wait, but Pete, what about googling? You can yeah. just Google uh, native plants to. Uh, Tampa, Florida, but it goes uh, it goes a little bit deeper than that, Leonard. You know, she, we need to know what her, you know, what is her exposure? Is she in a shady spot? Is she does she have sandy soils? You know, she wants to bring a sample of her soil to the garden center, the cooperative extension, and say, this is what I have. What will grow best here? Uh, because a lot of times you can Google plants and, you know, a whole list of stuff will come up. But, you know, are they recommended for your particular location based on, you know, uh, your microclimate? And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people miss, at, miss out on. Is Bringing the, the, soil samples, you're saying, is crucial to understanding what you should buy. Exactly right. And, and, and let me tell you an example of how that works. For instance, where I live in Pauling, we fall into the Harlem Valley limestone vein. Most, most um, wet uh, environments uh, where, where plant material breaks down very quickly creates more of an acid soil. And here's an area where, uh, you know, we have limestone soils, which is very uncharacteristic here for the Northeast. So if, if, if you went to the Cooperative Extension and say, what can I grow in my yard? And they're going to tell you uh, rhododendrons, hollies, azaleas, and then you go back and plant them in your yard and you fall into that limestone vein of soil, uh, then you just wasted a lot of money. So soil and, 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 and the soil properties that exist on your property are so very important. So how would the people at the garden center even know uh, what, the, the quality of your soil? Well, they'll test it. Oh, you know, they'll they're that sophisticated usually. Oh, sh- well, especially the cooperative extensions, oh. you know, they'll they'll test any soil and they'll give you analysis of uh, phosphorus, potassium, and nit- nitrogen, what your micronutrients are. And the more you know and your pH, which is very important, the more you know about your soil, you can hone in on the plants that will thrive and survive in that particular microclimate or, or micro soil. OK, thank you. And you are listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. We're taking your calls at 212-209-2877. 
But I'm not gonna cut a single blade of grass My garden will look just like the distant past Before the days of agricultural land Before the time when pebbles turn to sand When I leave this house I'm gonna stay I'm forsaking my comforts to live another way Get my clothes from this, my food from this My wallet from ponds and have friends from my friends And we are back with Pete Morosky here at Leonard Lopit at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. Pete is an environmentalist and nursing man, the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York. And we are taking your calls at 212-209-2877. And let's go to another one of the callers. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Hey, how you doing? Okay. And how are you Uh, doing? Okay, I have a little meadow wildlife habitat here in Persephone in my town actually threatened to fine me a couple of thousand dollars, but they backed off. I tried to explain to them I have a meadow, not a lawn, and I did have it certified. But um, Oh, they were yeah. insisting on you having a lawn? A lot of, uh, a lot of towns insist. insist on it, but they expected, like everybody living here has to belong to the lawn culture, mm. which I always thought was kind of you know, absurd or, you know, just didn't make sense. Cut it, fertilize it, cut it, fertilize it. Uh, you know, the out, out, outdoor carpet. Well, good for you for thinking out of the box. The, you uh, agree with him, don't you? Uh, you very you, much so. Very much so. Oh, yeah, I have. I have uh, you'd be surprised at the amount of uh, wildlife that I've attracted to this small area here. Well, one of the things. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. <clears throat> go ahead. No, I, I I thought you were ready for my uh, two questions. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, do you think there's any hope in the eradication of Japanese knotweed and the application of the alphalori itadori? Right. And the how how intricate would I would I have to be to save a tree, say a, a cedar tree, without damaging the roots? To dig out the bittersweet vine? Right. Well, you know, invasive plants are such a tough, tough thing to deal with. I mean, this, you know, there's so many invasive species now. You know, as, as, as Leonard alluded to in the beginning of the show, we, were, we keep bringing plants from other parts of the world into the United States, and they have uh, no natural enemies, and they just, you know, Phragmites. Is, is that uh, why bittersweet is so, uh, it thrives so much, because it doesn't have any natural enemies? It just grows everywhere? Bittersweet was one of those interesting vines that, uh, you know, we sell uh, the native bittersweet at native landscapes, but what happens is when you plant it in your landscape, the bittersweet uh, starts to cross-pollinate uh, with the Oriental bittersweet or the Japanese bittersweet, and the Japanese bittersweet is such a stronger strain of vine that it just overtakes our native bittersweet. Uh, so it's it, it's it's always a tough call, and I think uh, in your particular case, persistence 
is the best way to go. I mean, um, you know, you can also uh, cover the area with, with some black plastic, and in the heat of the summer, that'll kill it too. You know, there are different methods of getting rid of some of this invasive stuff, but some of it is so far gone that it's, 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 it's really a tough call. Yeah, and do you, you think the Japanese knotweed will has any hope at all of being diminished even in small landscapes anywhere? Well, you know, um, there has to be a, you know, there, there has to be, you know, neighborhoods have to get together and, and homeowner associations have to get together mm -hmm. and really create a, a method of, of eradication. And uh, once they do that, th there is hope. But uh, in a lot of situations, especially in, in more natural areas that aren't being uh, maintained, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a tough situation that we're in right now. Now, I want to get back to something yeah. else that this caller brought up, that uh, a lot of towns insist that everybody have the same-looking lawn. Uh, lawns are nice, but don't they have a negative impact? Uh, they do, Leonard. Um, you know, lawns were brought over here from Europe, uh, you know, back uh, in the 1700s to mimic what uh, what was going on in Europe at the time. And, you know, once again, as I said before, lawns are a dead area in our environment. Uh, they really have no ecological significance. Uh, they require a lot of water, fertilizer, a lot of mm. upkeep. I mean, when people... Ask me that I, also. That's right. When people ask me, what do I do about my lawn? Uh, I suggest to do what you're doing, sir, to your property, and that is shrink the lawn. If you're going to have a lawn, you got to, you know, you got to have some lawn if you got kids playing soccer or baseball or football on the back lawn. So you got to have some lawn for them. But surrounding them, they need to do what you did is, is and go out there and get some native seeds and create a native meadow in and around their lawn that's more environmentally friendly, that doesn't require a lot of water or pesticides or fertilizers. You know, we really got to get down to the fact that we can't afford to continue uh, uh, putting a lot of these pesticides in our environment and Le Leonard that reminds me of another thing you know I know everybody is is, is gung-ho on um, uh, climate change and 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 we're getting warmer but I think uh, right now the most important problem we have in our environment right now is clean water okay clean mm -hmm. water needs to be addressed uh, almost before climate change or we're not going to have any clean water left and that's why we got to get away from the pesticides and that's why we got to get a uh, get away from a lot of the uh, synthetic fertilizers that are just creating algae plumes in a lot of our waterways Hallelujah. okay thank you for your call let's take another call bai you're on the air an important topic oh i'm pulling out all my uh creeper what is it virginia creeper getting rid of that um, we have a pollinator garden in my town, and we have wonderful little butterfly eggs and chrysalises on the, on the plants. And the person that runs it told me that different stages of the butterflies eat different plants. 
And I, th- I thought that was very interesting. I haven't followed up on it, but uh, listening to you describe it would be fun. Thanks. Yeah. Well, you know, butterfl- as you know, um, you know, butterflies, there's many different butterflies that like many different plants. Okay. Since we're talking about the monarchs, uh, we'll focus in on that a little bit. Uh, they like the, 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 the milkweed, but they, they also like butterfly weed, which is Asclepius tuberosa. They also will, will like the phlox nectar, you know. So you really can't go wrong bringing in native plants into your landscape because, mm-hmm. you know, you're feeding a lot of butterflies and insects that belong there. Mm-hmm. And here's another important uh point I'd like to make, Leonard. You know, a lot of people, uh, as soon as they start seeing bugs in their landscape, they're out there getting their sprayers and mm-hmm. they're about to spray. If you're doing a native landscape, you got to expect some of your plants to be eaten. That's just the, the, the natural way and, and how it works. And then so, the birds are going to come and eat those insects. That's, and then you create, that's how you create your own little ecosystem in the yard. So when, you, when you're getting out there and planting it, uh, you know, don't be so quick to spray the pesticides on these insects that are eating your plants until you've ID'd these insects and said, oh, wow, look at this. This is, this is the type of insects the bluebird will eat or the chickadee will eat uh, before you go ahead and spray and kill them. Okay. Thank you. It was just his point about the butterflies and the caterpillars eating different plants at different times of their stages. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's, that's, that's just as important as, as, as the plants that you have in your garden. Thank Very you so much for your call. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Yes, I have a question about the Pachysandra. Now, we have a native species, Pachysandra, and anywhere, everywhere you go, it's not being planted. Every landscape has this non-native species. <coughs> why, why was it replaced? You would think the native species would be good, well-growing and well-adapted. Well, it's because the other one is winds up growing health, looking healthier when it grows. Well, no, the other it's a little bit different. Japanese spurge is a true evergreen, where the Allegheny spurge, which is our native Pachysandra, is kind of a perennial that fades in the winter and comes back in the spring. Now he brings up uh, your caller brings up a good question: Why don't we see more Allegheny spurge in the landscape? And that's because uh, people don't know much about it, you know, and a lot of these garden centers don't carry it. You know, when I first got into business 25 and 30 years ago, I would call growers and say, hey, can I get, a, uh, you know, native plants? Can I get this? Can I get that? And they'd, and they'd, 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 they'd laugh at me on the phone. No, we grow Barberry and Fitzer Juniper because mm-hmm. that's what sells. But now people are asking for certain types of plants like the Allegheny Spurge. And the more you ask your garden center and the more you force your garden center to supply these plants that you're asking for, uh, the easier they're going to be to find. Uh, I have another uh, dis- uh, statement I'd like to make. You know, the plantain, uh, which is invasive, uh, I guess invasive, not quite invasive, but a non-native species, the Native Americans used to call that the white man's footprint because it was so uh, taking over the whole uh, landscape. You're right. And, you know, you bring a, a – you got a great – group of callers today Leonard they're all very good you know you know there's a difference between uh invasive and um and um and 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 not in what am I thinking of I can't think of the name anyway invasive is a plant that really uh uh that you don't want to plant in your landscape uh but you know you can plant there are some things that aren't invasive that are uh that you can that 
I have a, I don't have a problem with planting in the landscape as as, as long as uh, you know you keep them contained in a certain area. But the more natives you plant, the better. Thank you for your call. Oh, I have one other thing yeah. about the early spring. The Cornelian cherry is in full bloom in Central Park right now. Wow. That's early. That is early. Well, it's probably. Can and, you eat them? Because I was going to ask about edible, uh, growing edible things. Uh, well, the Cornel- I always tell, I tell people, eat them at your own risk. <laughs> leave, them for the, leave, leave them for the native species, for the birds and the, uh, and the squirrels and whoever else. You know. Right. Well, right now we're just talking about flowers, you know, right. uh, and the fruit will come in the fall. Uh, but just like anything else, you know, uh, you know, like these people go out and they pick mushrooms and they, you know, I mean, you eat the wrong mushroom and it's a slow, horrible death. Mm-hmm. So you, you really got to know what you're looking at and, and what you're picking uh, before yeah. you ingest it. There are bold uh, mushroom eaters and old mushroom eaters, but there are no old, bold mushroom eaters. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank that's, you so much. That's my comments for today. Okay, bye, guys. Uh, by the way, a reminder, uh, I don't know how many more calls we can fit in here, but our number is 212-209-2877, and let's take another call. Hello, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, it's you. So I have a simple question. Maybe it's not so simple, uh, hopefully straightforward, and it goes back to soil. Um, I have a home in East New York, um, and I had the soil tested, and it turns out, unfortunately, that it has high levels of arsenic and lead. Um, and I wanted to know if there's a natural way. I was told to just remove the soil and put, like, new, like, I guess, new soil on top of it. But I wanted to know if there's a natural way to kind of, like, clean or clean up the soil without having to, like, just disregard it or bury it. Well, you know, there are some insects that do eat heavy metals. Um, but it, it takes a long time for them to do their thing. Uh, I would... Uh, I would get rid of all the uh, soils that uh, have the arsenic and the heavy metals in them and replace it with more of an organic soil. Now, wait, wait, just can we stop for a second? The the reason that they have those things is because they're in the city and uh, we talk about uh, car fumes and things like that. Exactly. Car fumes, uh, people, you know, uh, dumping, uh, you know, battery batteries mm-hmm. and, you know, you go by a, a, a tree well and you'll see you know you'll see batteries and you'll see all kinds of stuff that really doesn't belong there and the you know the cleaner you keep your environment uh the better you are and also once you've got that area clean and got the new soil in it you know use leaf mold as a mulch you know people don't understand how valuable leaf mold is and how it really enriches the soil and i'll tell you a little a study that happened in Central Park, Leonard, uh, not not long ago. There was um, there was a situation where Central parts of Central Park had too many earthworms, and everybody thinks when you got a lot of earthworms in your soil, it's the best thing for your soil. But when you have too much earthworm in the soil, what it does is it eats all the leaf mold, and 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 it's not you know because the trees that cycle of life that the trees depend on uh, needs uh, that that leaf litter or leaf mold to break down and and, and create uh, uh, leaf mulch. Now what they did uh, they did a study and they found out that a lot of these earthworms don't like acidic soils. So what they did is they brought in oak leaves into Central Park, and the oak leaves. Uh, the 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 worms scattered after the soil got so acidic. Where did they go? I don't know. But they're not in the areas probably, where the probably our call is home. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good luck with that. But uh, why why don't you just want to put in fresh soil? Well, you do. Oh, he's gone. Oh, he's gone. Okay, let's take another call. 
BAI. You're on the air. Is that me? You. Okay, so this is about worms. Last summer up in uh, Columbia County, around Hillsdale, New York, there was this big thing about uh, Asian jumping worms, and that's the worst thing. It's going to destroy everything. And so I started looking for them, and they said they had a white band and they wiggle a lot. And then when I was asking local people, they said, no, that, that's the worm we use for fishing. That's a good worm. Well, so what you, is it about? It's, if that? you're fishing, it's a great worm. If you're gardening, it's not such a good worm. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's, it's any worm that wiggles white band around the neck? Well, yes, it wiggles uh, uh, very, like, erratically, you know. Uh, so that's the worm that, that re- you know, and, and gather them all and throw them in the pond and have the trout uh, eat them. But they've become a real problem. And you know what, Leonard? You know how they've become a real problem? And, and you know, the nursery trade needs to take blame for this because they're coming – they're coming through in the containers of the plants that you buy at the garden center. That's uh-huh. that's where they're coming from. So, and because I see it, you know, we uh, our first delivery is next Wednesday of, of spring flowering plants, and I could tell you that uh, in the past I'm always inspecting the containers, and I have found these worms in the containers. And thank goodness we got a pond in front of the garden center. I'll go through there and I'll take out as many as I can, and. Uh, my fish love them, but uh, they're really creating a big problem in the soils right now. What do they do? They reproduce like crazy, and they eat all the leaf mold. Uh, and and another thing they do So they're is, eating up the, the nutrients that we want to be there for our plants. For our plants. But they're also, you know, if you, if you look at, uh, you know, one of the things that earthworms do do is they aerate the soil, which is good. Mm-hmm. But these worms aerate the soil too much and, 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 and create air pockets in the soil, which dry out the roots and kill the kill the plant okay how do you know the difference how do you know the difference the difference in what what, what kind of worm you got earthworms earthworms and asian jumping worms well the jumping worms uh they have a a, a very thick white band around the center of the worm um and the earthworms are much bigger our native worms are tiny they're only about an inch inch and a half long but uh, you know earthworms came from europe and and then the jumping worms came from asia Okay. And they don't belong here. <laughs> now, is, did any plants come from Asia that we like? Because every time you, you mention the word Asia, you mention Asia, uh, which well, is... Well, as long as they're not invasive. I mean, I love a, a Japanese maple on your front lawn. I love uh, 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 Japanese dogwoods. The Kusa dogwood is beautiful. Uh, the, 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 a lot of the, na- a lot of the uh, Japanese azaleas are beautiful. And they're not, uh, you know... Uh, and, and as I'm long not, as they're not destructive. As long as they're not going to jump into the woods and take over some other plant's um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 home, you know. Um, I'm not, you know, w- once again, I'm not a purist. And if you want to go out there and put a couple of uh, plants from other parts of the world that are hardy uh, to our environment, that's okay. But, you know, most of your property should be of, of, of native plants. Thank you so much for your call. I mentioned edible stuff. You said uh, that really more the fall. But uh, if we want to start some uh, things, should we start them in indoors and then uh, around now and, <coughs> right and then now, plant Leonard. them? Right now. Uh, a, a lot of your broccolis you can start right now, a lot of your onions, a lot of your scallions. Uh, you know, a lot of your cold, hardy vegetables, uh, lettuces, can be started right now. In Indoors. Indoors. Uh, in, in a, in a, in a, in a um, uh, greenhouse or in a cold frame because uh, they can withstand a little bit of cold cold weather and then uh, plant it outside next month. But put it, You can put them near your window. Sure. Okay. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. 
good afternoon. How are you? We're okay. Glad that Great. you called. I'm a little further up 22 North. I'm actually in the town of Wasaic or Armenia. Yeah. Um, when it, It's not far from Pauling. When, yeah, I know exactly since, where since you are. both of us ha- are, are located in Pauling, we know about oh, Wasaic and Armenia. We're pretty much neighbors. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 22 is the big road that goes through it all. From New York City to Canada, Leonard. Exactly. So here's my question. I, 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 when I moved up here some 15 years ago, I started getting these sinus headaches like you wouldn't believe, never having them in my life. I went to a friend's house. He, and he had a bunch of marijuana plants. They were very, honestly, very soothing to my sinuses. Now, here's what I'd like to know. I know at some point this is all going to be fixed, but I'd like to know, let's say I just threw seeds around here. Would that interrupt anything in the ecology of the area if I just threw some pot seeds around just to get some growth? Because I'm surrounded by forests where I live. I mean, absolutely. Well, I, I don't think so because, you know, if you think about where but marrow- is marijuana illegal to grow as well as to smoke? Unless you got a permit to I'm grow it, yes. Uh, but in Massachusetts, it's legal. Uh, on, and it, he's close to Massachusetts. Right. So, um, uh, you know, think about where marijuana grows wild. And if you drive down to Virginia and Tennessee, you can see it growing along the side of the roads because- it's 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 a little bit of a warmer climate down there, and the seeds are you know the plant is able to go to seed and then drop its seeds. So um, uh, so are you saying that the marijuana uh, is 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 helping your uh, uh, your condition? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my friend's house, he had a bunch of plants indoor, and uh, you know I'm laughing. Of course, you know you always joke and laugh about marijuana plants when you're not used to seeing them. And um, I noticed that there, I mean, you get these headaches up here. Someone told me that this was called Sinus Alley. You Uh, get these headaches that are so intense. And um, I asked him why he had so many in his house, because he doesn't smoke. He said, because my wife has an allergy issue. We're pretty much out of time. So, Pete, we have to give him a very quick answer. Well, it sounds like that you know you have an issue with pollen, and uh, you know I would uh, talk to your doctor and, and see what kinds of types of allergies you have that uh, you know that that, that might help. Uh, and and meanwhile, once again, give people the uh, the ways they can contact you when you're not on our show. You can always take a ride up to the country uh, to Pauling. And, In fact, and you're on Route 22. Right on Route 22, uh, the Appalachian Trail goes right through the Garden Center. So come on up, visit us at the Garden Center, and take, a, take hike. a hike on a trail. And uh, you can even take the train. Metro North stops right behind the Garden Center. But uh, we can be reached at 845-855-7050, Pete at nativelandscaping.net or nativelandscaping.org. And thank you so much, Pete, for being on our show. We'll see you in a couple of months. Thanks, Leonard. And that brings us to the end of today's show. My great thanks to our live engineer, Reggie Johnson, and my executive producer, Jesse Lent, for their invaluable contributions throughout the week. If you're new to our show and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out London Located at Large on Facebook and Twitter and our website, LondonLocatedLodge.com. Uh, hope you'll join us on Monday when Karen Cooper and Mike Major of Film Forum will discuss the 50th anniversary of the iconic movie theater. Have a great weekend.